You know, I'm not really a big fan of generalizations. I don't know why. I think it's because they, they seem to misrepresent things. But one of the more um, popular generalizations that you tend to hear uh, now and again, especially, um, you know, after Facebook happened and Twitter, is everyone wants to be liked. Everyone. And everyone wants to be noticed. And so we tweet and uh, we post status updates on Facebook to tell people how we're doing. You know, hey, my name is Jerry and a coworker pissed me off today. Or, uh, hey, I'm Kevin and I just made a hell of a PB&J sandwich. When, uh, when it seems to count most for the general public is is when people aren't feeling so good, when they're not feeling so hot, when they're not at their uh, their optimal level in life. Hey, I'm uh, Jerry, and I just broke out with my girlfriend. Suddenly, you have to have an opinion about everything. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what the topic is. I mean, everything's fair game. The world is fair game. You can talk about anything you want to talk about online in the form of a Facebook post or a tweet. In my opinion, Facebook posts and tweets are cries for help. When, uh, when you're tweeting or you're, you're posting about something you made, like a sandwich or your mood that day, what you're really saying is, like me, like my post. And each person uh, in their mind has an acceptable number. What they consider is an acceptable number of likes in mind. Is it 10? Is it 20? Is it 50? Someone out there, I guarantee you, this is 100% true. Someone out there, and there might even be a group of them, they post something on Facebook, some sort of status update or, or a, a picture, uh, you know, some sort of uh, um, emoji, emojicon, and uh, they have a certain number of likes in mind. They have maybe 50 likes in mind. And once they get that 50-like mark, once they hit that mark, they feel a sense of validation. Now, granted, in between the point that they post that post on Facebook or Twitter and um, and reaching that 50-like mark, they're going to keep checking their BlackBerry or their iPhone constantly, right? They're going to keep checking that Facebook. They're going to keep hitting the refresh button. And uh, they just want to feel that validation. They want to feel the warmth that comes with people liking what you're doing. Can you blame that guy? I mean, it's normal, you know? There's a difference, though, between having the desire to get likes and be liked in life, which matters, unlike Facebook or Twitter, and getting a sense of, seeking a sense of validation for your efforts. Now, making a sandwich and uh, posting a picture of it on, on Facebook and saying something like, hey, I made a hell of a sandwich, like me, is different than making a picture, making a film, releasing it, and having the expectation that people will go out and um, you know go on Netflix or drive to the theater, which is a much larger expectation, and actually watch what you've made. And give you some sort of external validation. It doesn't always work out that way though. 
you know. Um, nine times out of ten, when you're a filmmaker and you release something into the world uh, through the distribution power of a studio, and you have those expect- expectations, sometimes they don't always come into fruition. You know, people don't see movies for the oddest reasons. Sometimes, like we talked about in the last episode, your movie that you made is so intimate that uh, that someone isn't going to go out into in, in a pack of three or four people drive to the movie theater, park, and see it because they want to keep that intimate experience to themselves. And that's that's to be expected. And that's why the A-traditional routes like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime have been so prosperous in the last three or four years. It's because people want that intimacy. They've been craving it, you know? Because when you go out and you see Iron Man or you see The Avengers... Or you see a Spider-Man. I mean, I'm, these are all Marvel films. But even uh, Batman, The Dark Knight. That intimacy is generally going to be missing. You're not, you're not feeling connected to what you're seeing. Because what you're seeing is so distorted and far away from what you picture as reality. That you're just in a zone of enjoyment. All right? No one wants to work. I, I take that back. Some people want to work to make to, to see films. I'm one of those people. Not everyone is. Most people aren't. Most people, when they when they see a film, they want to just dissolve into that movie, right? Um, in some cases, you know, when we talk about dramas, the reason why you're watching a drama with a group of people in a theater in a packed house, all right, is because when you see people experiencing problems that are larger than what you picture your problems as being, suddenly it makes you feel better about your own problems and your own issues. It gives you a sense of comfort. And that comfort is, is something that people long for. You know, They want to see a thriller where the protagonist has to deal with some villain that they don't have to deal with in life, um, with obstacles that they don't have to encounter necessarily. And when we see the hero overcoming those obstacles and getting, you know, gaining the love and the trust of, of friends and a heroine, we don't have to work. It just, the film does the work for us. The filmmakers work and, um, you know, all the production assistants and uh, producers and gaffers and electricians and grips, they have to do the work, but we don't really see the work. Not unless we're going on YouTube and looking at B-roll videos and, and clips and footage. So that's not something that we're concerned with necessarily when we're going out to see a film all we want to do is feel happy that's all we really want to do most of us right somewhere along the line some somewhere after the transition from film to digital which happened in you know the early 80s the late 70s it became substantially easier to make a film because you didn't really make a film you you made videos Right. Uh, when we talk about Spielberg and, and, and all these directors, they started experimenting with Super 8 cameras from an early age. But now, we don't even have to do that. We can use our iPhones to make films, what we call films. And they might not be considered, you know, in a traditional sense by, by movie critics and by audiences' films. But um, the person that made that thing, that project, considers it a masterpiece, you know. 
whether or not he or she releases it is up to that person. It's up to the the so-called director. But the public doesn't necessarily have to love it and see it. Right? But then what's the point of making a film if no one sees it? I mean, that it doesn't really make sense to do that. I mean, you're spending so much time and effort and energy and money in some circumstances where you're actually, you know, investing in a budget and, and making a film like you should in the, in the, in what I would consider is, you know, the, the proper more t- traditional way where you have a budget and you have a producer and you have crews, you know, the expectation is you want people to see it. And if people don't see it, then, um, it seems like wasted energy in some sense. But movies are weird. They're not like paintings. They're not like artistic exhibitions where there really isn't an expectation of profit. You know, when an artist uh, opens a gallery, of course he or she wants to sell paintings, you know? But most artists don't really make it in that financial, commercial sense until after they die, until years later. Look at any artist. Vincent Van Gogh, Leonardo da Vinci, Uh, Jackson Pollock, none of these guys really became huge during their lifetimes. They became huge after they died. And that's, that's the gig. That's kind of the price you pay. You never know, right? Um, But in one sense, you know, even Jackson Pollock didn't know how big he was going to be after he died. You know, how can you tell from six feet under what people above you are doing and thinking about? And even in that sense, you have to have a, a mindset that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if people like me or the work that I do. You know, that's not a good impetus to, to do the work in the first place. It doesn't really make sense to, to put all your faith and, um, y- you know, your, your energy into trying to focus on people seeing your stuff. Because even if people do like your stuff, they'll think about it for a second. Or maybe they'll be obsessed with it for a day. Or maybe they'll play play your record for, um, you know, 12 hours straight on a loop. But at some point, at a certain point, they're not going to be as fixated on it anymore. It's just one thing in a web of content. It doesn't matter how good your content is. People will find a way to find more content and other content. And even if they do quote-unquote like your content, if you haven't found a way to monetize on that like, on their desire to get your stuff, then what's the point? That's why movies are so hard, because you're blending art with commerce, which isn't something that you're doing with more traditional artistic exhibitions. But that's the way it goes. That's why agents have jobs. Not all of them, and not all of them are good, but, um, but they do. They're just, they're gophers. They get people projects, directors, um, actors. Hello? And then uh, suddenly as an actor or a director, you're not so focused on the art anymore. The art becomes second priority, second banana to what you're really into, which is making money, which is so hard to do with this business, this Goddamn saturated business where it's impossible now. Because if you're a filmmaker, 
you're much more likely and and it's much more accessible for you to pitch a $100,000 movie to an independent distributor or maybe even a million-dollar movie as opposed to a $20 million movie. Even if you're a big studio, the idea, the concept of making a $20 million movie does not exist anymore. You either make really low-budget indies, which are not going to do anything in the theaters. They're going to, you know, your best avenue there is is Netflix, which we talked about. Or uh, make a $100 million movie, 150 or maybe $200 million movie like Transformers. And then see what happens. You know? With that kind of budget, you can invest, you can you can set aside an additional $150 million for marketing. Just for marketing alone. And you can rely significantly more heavily on the foreign box office as opposed to just the domestic box office. Which you would be relying on, on a, on a typical $20 million movie. Because other cultures, they don't get it. They don't understand why Americans are so fixated on, on what we're fixated on, the content that we make, the content that we release and that we're exposed to. Like the idea of a romantic comedy is not necessarily going to set in, you know, especially one that's set in New York, is not going to set in to someone that lives in Japan or, or Argentina. It's just not going to happen because our cultural differences don't set in. They just don't. So why even release it for in the in the foreign box office? Just release it in the domestic market. But no. You know, studios have gone even beyond that. No more 20, 30, 40 million dollar movies. It's either really small or really big. The really small ones, the the small ones that actually do something in the theaters are released by giant studio independent arms. So these giant studios like Fox and Warner Brothers each have these smaller independent distribution arms. Like Fox Searchlight, for example, or Focus Features. So if you're a guy and you made a startup and your startup is... A small film independent, you know, an indie distribution uh, arm or even a small studio, you're not going to get any work because you're not going to be able to penetrate into that market, that large market that, that the giant studios have, have penetrated and, and really created. And this word is overused, especially now, but saturated. Gone are the days when there were only three channels and when a show like I Love Lucy came on or um, or even in the modern days, you know, when we talk about the late 80s and the early 90s with sitcoms like Seinfeld and Roseanne. Those shows, you know, say whatever you want about expectations for ratings and that sort of stuff, but those shows, regardless of what they did, Launched stars. Because the worst case scenario is that the show doesn't go on for more than a couple of seasons and 25 million people see it every week. But now those days are gone. Those those days are over. If you're HBO and you can get more than 3 million people to watch your show every week, it's, 
it's doing well you know and i know that's a smaller market that's that's more of a that's the premium market but still if a network got 3 or 4 million people to see a show every week that's a home run right now it's not really a home run it's not a home run for advertisers they hate it they hate the landscape even though that you know they should take some credit for developing it and and really making it morphing in, into what it is but you know, I don't think blacklisting advertisers is gonna is gonna do anything. It's not really gonna change anything. And um, you know, if you look at shows that have really succeeded in the past decade or so, like The Office and and Silicon Valley and Parks and Rec and all these different shows, most of them, uh, you know, these examples are all comedies, but the writing is really good. The writing is on point. You know. So amidst this advertising kerfuffle of content, people on some level still care about what the dialogue is that these characters are saying on on sitcoms and, and shows. And so there is, I wouldn't say there's a reason to be optimistic. Significant changes in, in people's tastes have to evolve in order for content to be restored to what it was. But there is reason to understand that the problem that television and, um, and films are facing, they're fixable. They're fixable. You just got to let it do its thing. And uh, ultimately, it's up to you to decide what you watch and what you give ratings. And what you keep on television. And which movies do well. And which ones don't. So. The ball is in your court. Just like it always has been. <laughs>